Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. You've no doubt heard or received the advice to make sure that your personal financial investment portfolio is diversified. But what about making sure that you're thinking about both influence and impact as you think about ways to diversify your financial strategy? As we build our careers and our businesses, it can be incredibly easy to put things like our investment strategies on the back burner. But in reality, a thoughtful and diversified approach to your financial investments can help give you additional options if and when you decide to pivot from a job or to try something completely new, including turning your side hustle into a full-time business. Now, today's conversation should not be used in exchange for a more personalized approach to reviewing your investment strategy, but it will give you a lot to think about as you consider how your portfolio can actually help you build influence and impact in the process of saving for your future. This week's guest will give you a different way of thinking about your investment strategy, and she'll make a hard sell on why women like you and me are actually the answer to increasing badly needed funding for women-owned companies. We have the built-in capacity to understand those companies in ways that our male counterparts, frankly, do not. Why does this matter as you think about your career and ability to build influence? Well, quite simply, financial independence gives us freedom and autonomy. And it also can help us invest in areas that are personally as well as financially rewarding. As we continue our collaboration series with the Southern Sea, my guest this week is the fabulous Carrie Colbert. Carrie is the founder and CEO of Houston-based Curate Capital. Curate Capital is a venture capital fund that Carrie created to invest in women-owned companies and to help accelerate their growth. Her results continually speak for themselves in her carefully selected companies. Now, Carrie's path to entrepreneurship and to running her own investment fund is a great example of continually leveraging what you've learned to build something new. Because Carrie didn't limit herself to staying within a particular industry sector, 
it gave her a new platform for influence and ultimately impact, as well as an incredibly novel way of expanding support for women-owned companies in need of outside funding. Now, a few specific things that you'll learn from this week's episode. How Carrie traded in the world of oil and gas investment for an Instagram influencer side hustle. I'm not making that up. All of these pieces do fit together. And then how that hobby of hers grew into a passion for investing in women-owned companies. It's a great story. Carrie also cuts through the investment jargon, and she talks about what you need to know about VC investment and what it actually means to be a quote-unquote accredited investor. It is not as complex as it sounds. Carrie shares her perspective on how she got started in investing and how you can do so as well. Carrie shares the inside scoop on what she's looking for from pitches and potential investments. In other words, how you should think about your pitch if it's headed to Carrie's desk. Carrie talks about her big career pivots and the process that she's used for figuring out what's next for her. She also shares some great advice on what she's learned since her very first VC investment. Carrie shares such great information in this conversation. I know you're going to love it, but as always, I'd love to hear your feedback. Before we jump into the conversation with Carrie, just a quick reminder, this conversation does continue our collaboration series with the Southern Sea. We have a number of amazing entrepreneurs that have already joined us and quite a few still left to go. So I hope you'll stay with me for the entire series. These women are incredible. I'm learning a lot from them, and I hope the same is true for you. But for now, here is my conversation with the incredible Carrie Colbert. Carrie, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you, Laura. So nice to be here with you. Well, I'm delighted to have you. I have been looking so forward to this conversation. This conversation, as you know, is part of our collaboration series that we're doing with the Southern Cooterie. And I'm really happy to have you here and talk about your journey. You've had a very unique, a really incredibly unique journey in how you got to where you are. Let's talk about Curate Capital, what that is and how you started it. Sure. Curate Capital is a venture capital fund that invests in businesses by women for women. Specifically, we invest in consumer brands that women want to buy for themselves and their families. Let's talk about how you got started. Sure. So I actually had the idea for Curate Capital in 2019. And actually, I always remember our legal documents are dated December 2019, and we were all set to launch officially in early 2020. But then, of course, the world changed. So we really only launched in earnest in 2021, but it was a long time coming. So I don't really come from a traditional VC background at all. Um, I'm from a small town in the Texas Panhandle, and I was the first in my family to go to college. And so early on, all my decisions were just very practical and pragmatic in nature. It wasn't a, a question of, gosh, what am I passionate about? I just had to choose what was going to you know, get the most scholarships in college and then get me a job that paid well afterwards. So I studied petroleum engineering um, in undergrad and graduated the top of my class and then came to work um, in Houston in the energy industry. Uh, while I was working, I also got my MBA, and I was fortunate that the vast majority of my career was spent at a very entrepreneurial company. And so I worked in that industry for almost 20 years. And while I was never passionate about the industry itself, I was just so blessed to work for um, 
a guy, I worked directly for the founder of this company, who's now a billionaire, but he ran and structured the company in such an entrepreneurial way. It was very engaging as an employee because everyone was so motivated to work in the same direction. So I saw the power of ownership and equity. I saw the power of open book management. I saw the power of aligning incentives within an organization. And all of those things really inspired what I'm doing today. But I got to a point in that career where, frankly, I was just kind of burned out. And so I um, retired, quote unquote, um, in my late 30s um, from that uh, career, from that industry. And I wasn't certain what was going to be next. I just knew that I wanted it to be something entrepreneurial in nature and something that was a bit more in line with my personal interests and passions. And so long story short, I started connecting with brands that I liked on Instagram. Um, whether they followed me or I followed them, you know, the founders and I would strike up conversations. And um, I slowly started investing my own money. Basically, everything I'd made for my first career, I invested back into female founded brands that I personally liked. And I did that for about five years before I ever thought of launching a fund. But really, three important things happened during that. I was kind of testing my own um, you know, idea without even knowing it. But the three important things that happened were, one, I was having great fun in my professional life. And that wasn't a word that I would have used to describe my previous career. Two, I was seeing great results. I saw that with a little bit of investment of capital, these companies were really able to scale and generate returns for me. And then three, I had great deal flow. And what I mean by that is I saw so many opportunities and I had so many women reaching out for funding. I saw so many women building incredible businesses. I knew that this opportunity set was so much bigger than what I could personally um, handle. And so that's when I just started to start a fund. And so I did so pretty naively, um, even though I had my MBA and I was you know, director of finance and worked with uh, private equity and all that. Venture capital was still new to me. And so I had a, a steep learning curve. Um, the first learning curve was fundraising. I had never really been in a sales position. And so raising money was something completely new and daunting and scary to me. Um, and we set out to raise $10 million for our first fund. And um, gosh, there were days and weeks and you know months. I didn't know if we were going to get there. But ultimately, we surpassed that goal by 50%, um, raising $15 million to invest in female-founded companies. Now, while it's great that we surpassed our goal, what thrills me even more personally is how we did it. You know, we ended up with over 80% of our investors being women, which is really unheard of in this industry. You know, even though there are other female focused funds, most of them are backed by, you know, the same corporations and men and institutions as, as everything else. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is a differentiating point for us is that as we invest in these female-founded businesses, our investors are ready to support those brands and not just our investors, but our larger community. You know, women want to support other women and, and we're glad to provide a way to do that both financially and otherwise. I love that, but I'd love for you to really dig in a little bit deeper and tell listeners about how how you created that because it is very unusual to see a disproportionate number of women. Were you recruiting them? Were you sort of actively modeling this and people were, were attracted? What was different about what you were doing than what other people have and are currently doing as it relates to attracting female investors? Sure. You know, I'd love to say that it was some big master, you know, plan of mine from the beginning. And, and certainly I had a goal of having a lot of women investors, but like many things in life, 
Sometimes it happens when one door shuts, you open another door that turns out to be better, right? And in my very uh, naive brain, when I started fundraising, I thought, well, we'll just raise a little small $10 million fund because that'll be easy. I will just go out to the people from my oil and gas network and you know they'll give me $500,000 here, a million dollars here, and so on and so forth. Now, of course, when I reference my oil and gas network, we're talking about mostly men. And while mostly a few men, of them- yeah. Yep, did get the value proposition. I got to tell you that I face a lot of pushback, a lot, a lot of pushback. Um, and, you know, we can say, gosh, we're in 2023 now. Surely that's changed. You know, it's 2021 when I was fundraising. But the fact of the matter is that in a lot of cases, there's still a lot of, you know, kind of old school thinking and sentiment there. Um, a few anecdotal pieces of evidence. Um, I had people ask me questions such as, Gosh, Carrie, are there really that many businesses that women start to do a whole fund around them? So that was one. And then another gentleman who I admire greatly um, in many ways, um, you know, he cautioned me. He said, Carrie, I think you're really going to turn off a lot of people with this female focus. You're going to lose out on a lot of investors. And he said, so I'd caution you against that. And like I said, I value his wisdom in a lot of other areas. But for me, this just makes a good business sense. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that women businesses are underfunded, yet they're overperforming. And I have somewhat of an inside track through relationships with a lot of female founders. And so that just means that we're going to be able to drive outsized returns, we're going to be able to deliver really good outcomes for our investors. So, you know, whether or not you, you know, believe in, you know, the, the cause of investing in women, and I think it's the right thing to do. I mean, it's they're severely underfunded. Beyond that, it just makes good business sense, right? So that's, you know, whether you look at it from a money mindset or a, um, you know, just kind of a cause perspective, it makes sense all around. Yeah, I'm I'm curious as to whether you've heard back from that mentor since, since he gave you that quote unquote advice <laughs> to hear what, what he thinks about what you're doing now. Yes, yes. He's uh, been very kind with his praise and, and you know, credited me with, with the, you know, the vision I had. But um yeah, I mean, there are still people who have kind of, you know, old school mindsets and are are resistant to change, whether it's conscious or not. I think that, yeah, it's just kind of embedded into some people. And so we have to push through that. And so to answer your question a bit more fully, so I, I thought that it was going to be really easy. And I just reached out to these mostly men for my oil and gas network, and we just raised $10 million real quickly. Well, when those doors were shutting, or I wasn't getting answers, or I was getting no's, I was just kind of talking about what I was doing on Instagram and, and not even, you know, explicitly selling or fundraising uh, because you really can't do that um, from a legal perspective. But I was just talking about, hey, we just invested in this business and this is what they do. Or, you know, I would talk about how women got less than 2% of venture capital money in the US. And so as I just kind of naturally talked about my life and what I was doing, I had women reach out, you know, DMs on Instagram and, and so on and so forth saying, I really get this or, you know, oh gosh, I'm a customer of that brand. I, I had no idea that I can invest in it too. And so, yeah, sign me up. Where do I sign? Where do I send the money? And, and so women I had never met, you know, were investing anywhere from 25,000 to 250,000 or in one case, you know, over a million dollars because they, they got it so innately. They understood the value proposition and wanted to be a part of what we were doing. One question I have is, were these women who were already investing, they were active investors, or were they women who were like, you know, I've never really thought about this. I've never thought about, you know, investing my money in a female founded company like this. I suspect, yeah. 
Um, for the folks listening, there's a mixed bag of people that maybe are active investors or those that are kind of maybe mystified by the process. What does it take to invest in a fund like yours? Let's break this down. And I'd love for you to answer the question yes. about sort of who those initial invest, those female investors were. And then let's talk about what does it take for somebody who's listening who wants to invest in a fund like yours? Yes. So the cool thing about this, not only do we have about 80% women, over or about two thirds of our investors are first time venture capital investors. And so as I went along this journey, that became a, a huge passion and kind of secondary mission of mine is just educating more women and more people about what is investing, what is venture capital, how does it work? Because I have a strong belief that knowledge is power and we've got a certain segment of the population who have reserved a lot of the power for themselves because they've had a lot of the knowledge. And even myself with an MBA and having, you know, led finance at a, a big corporation, even I didn't know that much about venture capital. But when you really look into it, it's not that complicated. But those select few who have, have kind of been in the game forever talk about it in, you know, a lot of jargon and uh, terms that maybe aren't easy to understand. And so, you know, a big mission of mine is, hey, let's break down the jargon. Let's talk about it in normal terms and make it more approachable and accessible so that people can evaluate whether or not it makes sense for them. And it, it may not be something that everyone's interested in. That's totally fine. But if you understand, then you can make an informed decision. You have to understand the rules of the game and know how to play the game before you can win at the game, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about tolerance for risk. Um, as you think about female investors and taking those risks with their money, maybe what advice do you have for the best ways to think about and evaluating deals in the venture mm -hmm. space? Yeah, sure. So one thing that I learned in my oil and gas days um, is this, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Um, we had the opportunity to invest in oil and gas deals as our company would buy new properties every month, they would offer that to employees and we had the chance to put our personal money in. And, and that's really how I kind of grew my net worth. And, and I remember one of the executives would stand up at the meetings every month and say, you know, this investing advice, put, all, put, put eggs in every basket, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, and that's really what a VC fund does for you. You'll um, see plenty of opportunities these days, you can invest directly in companies. But what a VC fund does for you is you can rest assured that we are doing the, the work behind the scenes to vet these deals, you know, making sure that everything's in shape on the accounting and legal side and finance and operational, we're doing all that to kind of de-risk your investment. Plus you're getting a portfolio of companies. Like to date, we've invested in 15 companies in our first fund. And so while not all of those may be winners, you've got a higher chance of something being a big winner, right? And so that's, that's one way is if you can invest in a fund, then you're going to get a diversified portfolio where maybe you're invested in 10 or 15 or 20 companies, and you get to follow along their journeys, learn from them, and benefit financially. Now, traditionally speaking, here's how venture capital works in this country, who can participate, okay? The SEC says you have to be an accredited investor. And when I first heard that term, I thought, well, that sounds like some certification or something you have to apply to be a part of. No, 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 that's not even the case. An accredited investor is just a defined term that the government has defined as someone who either makes more than $200,000 a year or has a net worth greater than a million dollars. So if you have an income greater than $200,000 um, and it's 
technically says for the last two years, and you expect that to continue, then you're eligible to invest in, they call these private investments, like venture capital and angel investing and stuff like that. So that's all. You don't have to apply. There's no certification. It's just an income or net worth requirement. And so once you do that, um, most venture capital funds, they'll have a minimum investment. And it traditionally is pretty high. It might be half a million dollars or something. But it was important for me to make that as low as practically possible so that we could bring more people in to start learning about it. So, you know, it's hard to say, but if you do your research, different funds have different numbers. You know, in my first fund, we accepted checks as low as $25,000 because we just wanted more women in the fold. We wanted more people, more women in the game to learn about investing, to learn about scaling companies, to learn about all this stuff. So we made it as accessible as possible with some other restrictions the government puts on us, you know, so there's some practical constraints I have to work within. But, you know, we wanted more people to get to participate. Another option that I'm seeing really popular right now is uh, these things called SPVs. That stands for special purpose vehicles. And so, you know, maybe you don't have 25 or 50 or $100,000 saved up to invest in a fund, but you can start dipping your toe in the water by participating in these SPVs. And what that typically is, at least for us, say we've already invested in a company and they're growing and they're raising more money, we might open up an SPV and that's a chance for, again, it has to be accredited investors. So you've got to have that you know, income requirement we talked about, but you can invest an even smaller check into these companies um, almost directly. So there are several different ways, but yeah, I mean, not to put a plug in for ourselves, but um, we're trying to do a lot of educational material on Instagram, on our Curate Capital Instagram account, you know, so just to demystify the whole process, because it does look very, um, you know, opaque, it feels like a black box that's hard to understand, but it's really not that complicated. And as you start getting exposed to more, as you learn more, um, then you'll start to understand the game. And so, you know, I think it's really important that we as women don't just sit on the sidelines because we don't understand something, but rather start investing in yourself, invest in your learning, and then you can, you know, choose what financial investment is right for you. But we really have to be proactive in how we manage our lives, including our finances. Yeah. I love that. And I love that concept of tying investing in yourself in a way that gives back that helps you earn money for yourself. It also helps other women, other people succeed. There's just there's so many elements to that that I love. So I'll include um, links to Curate Capital and to your Instagram. Mm -hmm. There is some fabulous information that you've included on your website. And so I really urge folks to, to check that out because it's great. Carrie, even though you have this amazing fund and you're doing incredible work to move the needle, there's a number of women, number of people out there who are also investing in female funded companies, but the needle's moving really, really slowly. Maybe talk about what more you would like to see or what more maybe listeners, other ways that they could engage that would help move the needle as it relates to funding in female funded companies, female founded companies rather. Yeah, certainly. Yes, the stats just came out for 2022, and they're really abysmal. In 2022, women got 1.9% of venture capital dollars in the US. That's it, even it, worse, isn't it? It's, it's even worse. worse yes, than, it, it's not uh, even that the needle's not moving, it's going backwards. It's going backwards. Um, yeah, it was, it was two something last year, I think 2.4 um, in 21. And then last year, it dipped to 1.9%, which is just so abysmally low, it's really hard to even comprehend. Um, and, and so, you know, you'll read a lot of people uh, 
pontificating on this that, well, women aren't starting as many businesses. Well, that's false. All the stats show that women start almost half the businesses in the U.S., the number somewhere between you know, 40, 45 plus percent. So it's not that there aren't enough female founded businesses. I think you have to go back to the source. And, you know, there's also a problem with not having enough women writing checks, not enough women investors. If you look at the stats for venture capital, um, gosh, I, I should know this off the top of my head, but the number of female partners at venture capital fund is also abysmally low. It's, it's something like less than 15%. Don't uh, quote me exactly on that, but it's really low. And so from my perspective, the, the real shift that needs to happen is we need to have more women investors. And so that doesn't mean just venture capital investors, but more women as angel investors, more women writing checks into venture capital fund. We have to change the face of what an investor looks like before we change the face of who actually gets funded, right? Because we all know there are all these biases that, that you know, we can read about in, in you know, psych- psychology literature and that we learn about in school. But, you know, bottom line is people invest in what they're familiar with. They gravitate towards what they know. And so if you go into a boardroom filled with, you know, a bunch of um, homogenous looking people, they're probably going to be more likely to fund something that looks like them than something that's foreign to them. You know, I, I had one investor, um, Amel, who was considering investing in our fund and, and I was showing him some of our companies and he's like, but does the world really need another makeup company? Uh, we had just invested in uh, Live Tented. Well, now they just closed their Series A and raised another $10 million and have doubled year over year over year. And they just keep growing like phenomenally. And so, you know, the point is she had a very specific perspective on what the the beauty space needed. And, and she's of, of Asian descent and her company Live Tinted caters to darker skin tones. And she is just killing it in the marketplace. And that's the, the thing is that we really believe at the heart of it, women know what other women want. Women control over 85% of the purchasing power in households. So specifically, that's why we're focused on consumer goods because women are making those decisions. They know what they want. They know what their family needs and they're buying those products. So, you know, I think the changes is, is more... Um, nuance than just saying, well, gosh, venture capital investors need to send more money to women. Or it's also more than just looking at it as a cause that needs fixed. Because then if you just go sprinkling money everywhere, well, you're not going to drive the returns. The the answer in my mind is activating more women as investors. It's doing our diligence as investors, investing in the best of the best, and then letting that success drive even more investment, right? So it's kind of a, a long-term um, change that has to take place. But that's why I'm so super passionate about not just our, what we invest in, but getting more women educated on investing themselves, because that's how we're going to power change um, and really move the needle on not only how money is invested, but who is wealthy in this country. I'd love, Carrie, for you to pivot because we also have a lot of listeners who are entrepreneurs, who are starting businesses, who are maybe in the midst of a career pivot like you did, like I did. Um, maybe let's talk about what you look for as you think about companies to invest in and what those entities should be thinking about as they're making their pitch maybe for the first time to a VC fund like yours. Yeah, great question. You know, I think there's all sorts of funding sources out there from grants and loans and angel investors and VCs that can all get kind of overwhelming and confusing. Even within the VC realm, different companies, different funds have specific investment theses. Theses. Um, <laughs> sorry, I kind of fumbled okay. that word, but 
and what enough. I mean is they've got kind of a mandate of exactly what they they invest in. And sometimes that can be pretty narrow. They'll say, we invest in this industry at this revenue level, this stage level. And if you don't fit those parameters, then it's not going to be a good fit for you. So sometimes, um, you know, companies, I see founders reaching out to funds that are just already going to be a no because it just doesn't fit their thesis. So as much as possible, do your homework to figure out who might be a good fit for you. Now, I still encourage people to reach out to me, even if maybe you're not um, exactly a fit for our thesis, which I'll share more about in a moment. Um, Still, I'd love to visit with founders because we can still connect you with resources or other investors or whatever. So on one hand, do your your research and don't you know just reach out to every investor. But for us specifically, you know, feel free to um, reach out. And if we're not a good fit, maybe we know someone that is, or we know resources that'll help you get to that stage where we are a good fit. So at Curate Capital specifically, we're looking for revenue generating companies. I hate to put a, a firm number on it, but generally speaking, I want to see like more than a million dollars in revenue um, in the last twelve months. So growing companies that are revenue generating, they found their product market fit, and now they're just really looking to take that capital and scale. And so that's just our thesis. There are other funds and other investors that will work with you from the beginning. They call it this pre-seed stage or from launch or whatever, and they'll work with you in the early days to build your company. That's not really our sweet spot. Our sweet spot is after you've kind of already worked out some of those, you know, uh, you know, issues in the beginning and you've really are onto something good now and now you know that capital will be like pouring accelerant on the fire right it'll just make the fire burn faster we're not really coming in and fixing problems necessarily you know you're onto a good thing and you know if i just had more money i would use it for x y and z and that would really take me to the next level and that's where we come in yeah yeah i love that so are you as as you have folks pitching to you are you giving them feedback giving them the opportunity if maybe you know no this time an opportunity to come back to you to actually sort of work together to address those potential risks or issues that you identify that maybe they don't quite meet the requirements at that moment but hey come back to us in 12 months maybe talk about how that process works from your perspective Yes so it's actually, we're recording this on the last day of the month. And so I was just looking at how many pitch decks we've re- received this month. And it's over 150 pitch decks that we've received in, in February, the shortest month of the year. So it's really incredible the number of, you know, inbound uh, pitches we receive. And, you know, we're really honored that people are entrusting us with their ideas and, you know, their businesses to to evaluate from this perspective. The fact of the matter is, you know, we can't invest in every business. I, I wish I had, you know, a billion dollars to invest. And, you know, there's probably would be no shortage of good businesses even at that stage. But the fact of the matter is with our first fund, we had $15 million. And um, we write check sizes from, you know, 500000 up to, say, a million dollars or so. Because when we invest, we want to really, um, you know, go all in, so to speak. We're not sprinkling small checks everywhere. We're becoming partners with you. And we want a lot of skin in the game. So, you know, we're not able to reply to every pitch we get, but we do um, take a lot of, of pitch meetings. I bet we've probably had 30 pitch meetings this month with one-on-one with founders. And even like you said, if it's not a good fit for us now, we talk about, you know, different resources we have to help you get to the next level. Or if it's probably not going to be a good fit for us, you know, maybe the wrong industry or whatever, we know other funds and have other connections in the industry where we can refer you. And then lastly, something that I'm really excited about is that we're building what we call the founder toolkit, um, where even if, you know, gosh, even if we don't take a meeting with you, even if we're not going to invest, you know, even if whatever, we're, we're putting together a pretty robust um, uh, list of resources for founders that 
that is built upon what we see founders needing when we meet with them. So whether that's help with their pitch deck or help with their financial projections or help getting their revenue up, we've really got a, a, a pretty incredible list of resources we've been working on for, gosh, a year now. So we're excited to roll that out in the next month or so to all the founders that reach out to us and then also probably on our website and social media as well. Yeah, I love that. So we talked a little bit upfront about your career pivot. You were an investor in the company in which you were an employee, which enabled you to, to frankly cash out at a really young age and gave you the ability to decide to make a big career pivot. I'd love for you to talk a bit more and go a little deeper into that process because you were also working, not working, but you were dabbling, maybe working, I'm not sure what the right term is, because you were an influencer, an early, early influencer on Instagram, which I'm, as I understand it, was part of what kind of got your attention about this idea of potentially investing in female companies. Maybe talk a little bit about the, the process that you went through to help make the decision about what you were going to pivot to next. Yeah. You know, even when I left the company where I worked, I had no clue what was next, but I'm a big believer at this point in life that nothing is wasted, right? I see so many young people wanting to pursue their passion from such a young age or to, you know, be in their dream job, whatever that means from a young age. But there's something to be said for just putting in the work and learning from it. You learn what you like, you learn what you don't like, you learn what you're good at, what you'd rather outsource, you know, you learn your strengths and your weaknesses and all those things. So if you look at life as a learning experience, you can eventually like craft that life that you love, that dream life, so to speak. But it takes a lot of you know, just hard work. And so when I left oil and gas, I really didn't know what was next. I, I, like I mentioned, had a few criteria, like I like the entrepreneurial side of things. I like, you know, kind of the startup life. I like, um, uh, I want it to be something that I'm personally passionate about, but it's just by putting yourself out there and learning. So yeah, coincidentally, I was on Instagram the week it launched, which is why I personally have a very short handle at Carrie C. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I, I just personally liked photos. And I've always, always kind of had this creative bent in the background. So in the early days of Instagram, when it sufficed to just post a pretty picture, I was good at that. Um, I'm not so good at the videos and all the things that you have to do to, to um, play the Instagram game these days. But all that to say that I was on Instagram early and grew when it was early or easy to grow. And through that, you know, I've got um, not the hugest community by any means, but I've got a lot of loyal followers who have been with me for 10 or 12 years. And some even before that, that's another rabbit trail, um, I'll say for another time. But you know, so these ladies have been longtime loyal, you know, connections of mine. And so I think because I never was trying to, you know, make a quick buck and, you know, sell push affiliate links on them day in and day out, you know, they really paid attention to when I was doing this and trusted, you know, where I was going with it. But, and also that's how I started connecting with brands. Sometimes I would work with them on an influencer collaboration and then go down the business um, path and talk to them about if they were looking for investors or not, or board members or whatever. And so, um, yeah. So back to your question about how, to pivot, I think it's just becoming more self-aware of what you like and what you want. And then you can create that role for yourself. You don't have to have the perfect pedigree or education or experience. You know, we're fortunate to live in a day and age where you can 
kind of learn on the fly in, in many ways and, and, you know, really craft that life that, that you're going to love. And so, you know, I, I certainly work you know, as hard or harder than ever, but I really enjoy the work we do. And it's so much more than, gosh, investing in 15 or so businesses thus far. It's working with this incredible ecosystem of women from founders and, you know, the women that work at these companies and our investors and the community that supports our, our companies. It's just also inspiring on so many levels. I love that. I, I love that. You've talked about working hard. You've talked about really investing in your education. I'd love for you to talk about how you actually learned the VC space. I mean, you talk about the fact that you did a lot of research and you learned, but but how did you go about that? Was there a process you went through? Did you make a list? Did you like, you know, find people to talk to? Did you take courses? What did you do exactly that helped you really learn this space? Or really, I guess, sort of round out the knowledge you already had. You had your MBA, which you got while you were still working in your corporate job. But maybe talk a little bit about the process that you went through for learning this. Well, I'll, I'll start by saying that I, I learned on my own dime, right? As I was investing my own money into businesses, I was new to that. And in some cases, the founders were new to it. I was uh, the first investor in a company called Pack Party out of Austin. Um, and this was probably seven or so years ago. And I was her first investor and it was the first investment like this I had made. And so I, we joke now, the founder and I, Jordan, were very close friends and, you know, we were both just learning together. I mean, we went through, you know, hell and back personally and professionally. And, you know, some of it was nice and pretty and fun. And some of it was, you know, a little rough and a little, um, um, I don't want to say contentious, but, you know, learning is not always easy. So I was investing my own money and learning along the way. Um, no formal courses or anything along the way. But I think we are, we are fortunate to live in a time where you can learn so much by Googling, by reading, by, um, you know, there's a, a lot of VC buzz on Twitter. Twitter's not my preferred platform, but I'll go there just to read, like, what is the conventional wisdom that people are, are saying about the industry? You know, what is the state of the industry? And then I think in many cases, though, it served me well to be an outsider, because as an outsider, you can learn about the industry and the traditional rules, if you will, but then you can figure out, okay, where do I want to challenge those norms? Where do I want to challenge the status quo? Certainly some conventional wisdom is there for good reason, and, and we'll, we'll adopt that as it fits. But, but it's a good chance to go in and be like, but does it have to be that way? And how can we do things differently, better? Um, how can we, we tweak things to, to fit today's um, generation, the female demographic? What can we do differently that's going to appeal to that customer, if you will, um, better than the traditional system. At the time, uh, for instance, there were no VC funds that had differentiated branding or websites. If you were to go to a VC fund website, it was all in navy and navy blue and you know dark neutral colors and you know very serious fonts and you know very serious names. And so, you know, when I came onto the scene, I mean that's my background. I love color, I love marketing, I love branding. And so we kind of made a big splash with like hot pink and you know neon yellow and green as our brand colors. And and now I'm seeing more of that. I'm seeing more VC funds try to differentiate themselves with unique branding and all that sort of stuff. But it was really kind of unheard of at the time, especially think of me going out to mail investors with my, you know, kind of hot pink pitch deck and all this sort of stuff. It was a little different. Um, but I think that's one of the things that sets us apart. I mean, we seem more relevant and more approachable and just more friendly than uh, the average um, venture capital fund experience. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Carrie, maybe... Um... As you think back, 
uh, over the last few years and the experiences that you've had. And you talked about that first investment and how much you learned and how much the founder of Pack Party, right? Pack Party? Party? Yes, yes. How much both of you learned in that process. Maybe talk a little bit about what some of those lessons were that you learned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Great question. I think number one is that building a, a company is not easy. It's not always going to be smooth sailing and you're going to have to have hard conversations and you're going to have to navigate both the ups and the downs together. And, you know, it's not a case where I, I write a check and walk away and can just, you know, uh, hope for the best. We like to be involved. And, and the key though, is being able to navigate those, those tough times with a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of grace and, 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 you know, kindness. Um, I think that's missing a lot in, in the business world. And, and I really try to, to take the personal part out of it. I even try to take, you know, my own interest out of it. And when a founder is struggling, just ask, what can I do to help? You know, because ultimately, if, if they personally are doing better, their business is going to do better, and, and my returns are going to take care of themselves. So, you know, I just look at it as helping these founders. And, and early on, I think I probably went in with, you know, too much arrogance and thinking I knew, you know, more about, you know, X, Y, and Z than, than she did or he did. Well, not he, but founder one or founder two, you know what I mean? But I, I think going into things with a very humble um, approach and understanding that the founder, the CEO, whoever, they know their business better than I do, but I do have some things I can bring to the table. So, you know, I just try to do regular check-ins and ask, how can I help? And I'm not the expert on everything, but I do have a few key things that I can bring to the table. So it's been definitely a, a time of, of a lot of learning. And I think that's really um, what I love about this is just you can continuously learn and grow and none of us ever have all the answers. And that's why it takes takes all of us together to you know kind of get to the desired outcome that we all have. So definitely a team approach, definitely taking a humble, you know, how can I, I help you sort of approach leads to the best outcomes as I've seen it to date. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. So as you know, influence is a theme that runs mm. through this podcast. We talk about the how how we can build it and sustain it through a lot of micro habits. And you just identified a number of them, right? Investing in yourself, investing in learning, investing in others, being open, having that mindset that's really oriented toward learning. I'd love, Carrie, for you to talk a little bit about how you think about your own influence and what it means to you at this stage in your career? Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I did the influencer thing for, I don't know, five, six years and the traditional sense. And by that, I mean, monetizing it, you know, doing paid partnerships, doing, you know, a lot of affiliate work, all that. And that's fine. But I think that's a very narrow view of what influence is. Um, and certainly some women have extraordinary social selling skills and I applaud them. Um, in fact, one thing I forgot to mention earlier is that um, almost a third of the capital we raised for fund one came from influencers. So I love this trend that, that I really? think we're kind of, yeah. Uh, and so segue, I'll come back to the question, but yeah, as so I was personally investing, I saw how excited companies were to have me as an investor and I'm not even that big of a deal on the internet. Um, you know, I say that tongue in cheek, but you know, they were like, great, you know, an influencer invested in us, you know, we'll get a little bit more um, influencer marketing, we'll get a little bit more, you know, knowledge in that realm, a little bit more exposure, all that stuff. And, and like I said, I'm not even that big of a deal. So as I was fundraising, I, I thought, well, how can we get this at scale? Well, ultimately, we um, uh, had an influencer agency reach out, and they were wanting to offer their roster some opportunities to have equity. And this made perfect sense. So, you know, this core group of influencers invested 
over $4 million personally in the Curate Capital. And so I love this, this trend that, that I think we're seeing and that, that even we kind of pioneered about, you know, influencers putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak, investing to grow their long-term financial picture. But also then if they want, they can use their skills as an influencer to benefit their long-term financial picture, right? As they help companies grow, they have ownership in those companies and ultimately will reap the rewards. So it's a pretty cool concept that we're really excited about. And we're just scratching the surface. I mean, there's there will be more to come for sure. Um, so yeah, I think influence is so much more than you know using affiliate links on social media. I think for me now, my influence is very, very much less about selling things, uh, selling products. And it's more so about just um, having the the boldness to create a life you love. It's a, it's about sharing knowledge about business and investing. But for me, you know, I, gosh, I'm in my late 40s at this point, and I I think at this you know we've we've accumulated enough uh, wisdom that anything that I can do to help others, um, whether that's from the business perspective or just a personal perspective, you know, really be able to take ownership and accountability for their own life and create a life that they're going to be happy to lead. I think that, that to me would be the ultimate, you know, influence that I would wish to have. Yeah, I love that answer. That's amazing. Carrie, this has been such a great conversation. I know folks are going to love hearing your perspective. And I'm really happy to have you here as part of this collaboration series that we've been doing with the Southern Sea. Thank you so much for joining me. Laura, I'm so honored. You are an amazing uh, interviewer. I love listening to your episodes. And now I'm, I'm just privileged to be a part of it. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much. Hey, friend, thanks so much for joining me for this week's conversation with Curate Capital founder, Carrie Colbert. I would love to know what you thought of our conversation and how you are thinking about your own personal investment strategy. And specifically, if women-owned companies are something that you consider when you think about your personal investment strategy. I would love to hear. In the meantime, friend, you will find links to Curate Capital where you can learn more about Carrie's approach. And you'll also find a link to the Southern Sea in the show notes for this episode. This is episode 236. As always, friend, I am grateful for your feedback, so please keep it coming. And don't forget to share a little love in the form of a review for your favorite podcast host. I would be truly, truly grateful. Until next week, you take care and I'll talk to you soon. She Said, She Said podcast is a weekly production of She Said, She Said Media.